Amen. You can be seated. Welcome back, some of you from uh, summer, huh? Good summer. It's been great to see people coming and going and watching your Facebook and Instagram and Snapchatter or whatever else you're on and, and what you're doing. So it's good to see. Um, we need breaks. And so summer's a great time to do that. So this morning, we're going to start a series called Christian Atheist. And I know that kind of sounds like, hey, there's, that's polar opposites, and it is true. And there's actually a book by, about this, and the pastor, Craig Groeschel, is pastor of Life Church, wrote a book about it. There's also a, another book that's similar to it called Not a Fan. And the idea is that we're not to be fans of Jesus, but to be fully devoted followers of Jesus and what that looks like. And that sometimes we get caught up in being a fan, which is someone who appreciates, but not necessarily fully devoted. And then there's other, also an, another new book that I think you might like to read. It's called Quit Church. And not that I want you to quit church. Obviously, a pastor wouldn't want you to quit church, but they would want you to have the idea of that church is important, okay, but there's so many things in life that we need to quit so that we can gain freedom in other areas. And that, you know what, if you want to you wanna lose weight, you quit eating, right? So if you want to do something, many times the, the solution is not adding more, but it's actually quitting something, right? And so um, what do you need to quit to grow in your faith in Christ? So um, we're going to be talking about Christian atheism over the next few days, and so it's um, taken from all these different things. And one of the things that we're talking about and thinking about, um, especially as pastors, but also as Christians, hopefully, is that our culture is radically changing. And so there are quite a few people that if you were to ask the question, are you a Christian, they would say yes. But by their life, by the way that they view things, the way they do things, and to take an account everything about their life and the things that they would say is that it wouldn't back up that pro- proclamation of being a Christian in their life and how they do life and even how they pursue pursue life wouldn't back that up. And so I want us to think about this over the next few weeks is what does it mean for us to proclaim the name of Jesus and what are some of the things that should be happening? What are some things that should be taking place in our life because of that proclamation? So there's that, that pol- polar opposite kind of idea that I want you to grasp over the next few weeks. And so that word Christian literally means someone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. That's a pretty simple, straightforward deal. And so here, whenever we say we are a Christian church, we're creating some exclusivity in saying that, listen, everyone that gathers here, um, we're, we're assuming at some way, in some level, is professing or is pursuing, thinking about professing belief in Jesus Christ. And that through that profession in Jesus Christ, that they are a Christian, that they are a little Christ, a little Jesus imitating him in the way that he did life and doing his teachings. Now, the, on the other side of that is this idea of atheist or atheism, and that is someone who does not believe in a God or does not believe in God. And so, in other words, you would throw out all these different characteristics of who God is and what, he is, what he's about, and they would say, hey, I don't believe in that. And um, in many ways, um, sometimes atheists even believe that the only way that they're any way that you can know that there's anything is through proof. So very rational thought. And one of the things that we know, or we have maybe learned over the years as followers of Jesus, is there's some things that about God, there's some things about being a follower of Jesus, there's some things about being a Christian that aren't just rational. We call those things faith, right? And so there is a point where, hey, there's some rational things. There's obviously some evidence. I can give you lots of evidence to prove that God is and that Jesus is and that there's a lot of historical evidence and archaeological evidence and all these things. But there is also still a component of faith. And so that's the thing, one of the things that separates us. As a matter of fact, um, even in whenever Paul was teaching, one of the things that he was teaching, he said that there's 
a idea of um, in Titus chapter 1 verse 16, he says that there are people that say that they know God, that they proclaim that they know God, but that they live exactly opposite. So here in just a moment, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. We'll have a few things that we'll look at before we get there, but 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. So this idea of Christian atheists. People claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way that they live. They are detestable, disobedient, worthless for doing any good. In other words, they pursue something completely opposite. And so that's the truth for us this morning that I want you kind of to think about, is that so many times we proclaim that we know God, but that by our actions actually show something completely opposite. And so there's this polar tension that some people claim that they know God, and so they're living over here, but by their actions and the way that they do and live, that they're moving in this direction. So they kind of go in two different things. And so the first truth that I want you to grasp this morning is that this idea of I believe in God, but I do not know Him. So that maybe you've grown up in and around church and what's what I call inoculated by faith. In other words, you've been around church for a little bit. Maybe you went to a a Christian school or a Catholic school. Maybe your parents sent you and you went to VBS or whatever. And so you have just enough knowledge. You have enough stuff. When someone says, hey, are you a Christian? You would say, yes, I'm a Christian. But you don't have a relationship with him. You don't truly know God. So when someone says, do you believe in a God? You may even say yes. And so one of the things that's exclusive to being a follower of Christ, the God of the Bible, is that he is the God. There is no other God except Him, and so there's an exclusivity to it that He's not one of many gods, He is the God. And so this idea of, I believe in God, but I do not know Him. And so to know someone is to actually have experienced them, to have a a relationship with them. And so there are many um, that would say, hey, I know about God, I know a little bit about Him, but don't necessarily have a deep relationship or even the beginnings of a relationship. So think about it on a dating, dating scale, that there's someone who likes someone and they walk by them in school or they walk by them somewhere and they're like, hey, I know so-and-so. Well, do you, you know of them, but you don't know them. And then maybe you ask them out on a date and they say no the first 15 times or whatever. And you're like, hey, do I know them? No, you really don't know them yet still, okay? And so this is that idea I want you to grasp is that there are many in our culture that have been inoculated by the faith. They have some basic knowledge of some Christian ease. They even may use some of the Christian words that, that we use or they've seen or whatever. But just because they have some of the lingo down doesn't mean that they know. It doesn't mean that we know who God is. So they may even know some things about Him, but they don't really truly know Him. And so you've been inoculated by the faith. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Verse 21, there's an encounter where Jesus is talking to the religious teachers of the day. And right, So the religious teachers of the day, if anybody knew God, it would be the religious teachers of the day. And so Jesus is talking to the religious teachers of the day, and they're having this discussion. And Jesus kind of throws this at them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, listen, there's going to be people that are going to come to the kingdom of heaven, that are going to be at the pearly gates, and they're going to stand there, and they're going to cry out, and they're going to go, Lord, Lord. And they're not going to be able to enter into the kingdom. Why? Because they do not know me, because I do not know them. And this is that idea of, listen, it's not enough to know about God, but it's about knowing Him. And so they may be able to recognize, hey, that's Jesus, but not have a relationship with Him. And so that's the first level of of Christian atheism that I want you to get. The second thing is this, is that maybe you've had an encounter with God. That maybe you've been to camp or you've been on a retreat or you've been somewhere and you've had this moment where you've had an encounter with him, but you haven't established a relationship 
with him. And so that you've had a moment where you sense that, hey, God was talking to you and, and you had that moment, but it, it hasn't transpired into a relationship. So you had a great date the first time and it was kind of cool. You got the little goose pimples. Y'all know those things. You know, everything kind of like, oh, they're so cute. They smiled at me and all that. And so that's that moment of you're like, you're, you're excited about it. But then what do you try to do? You try to replicate it. And so I saw this a lot in student ministry is that someone would would have an encounter with God at camp or on a mission trip or some type of a retreat or something. And they'd be like, oh, this is cool. And so then I wouldn't see them again until the next retreat for the next camp. And they were trying to recreate this encounter with God. And so they would do this for year after year after year. And then finally, one time we would just sit down and I'd say, listen, you have changed. Hopefully from seventh grade to 10th grade, you're not the same person, right? Hopefully they've matured and all that stuff. And so you can't replicate an encounter with God like you did in camp two or three years ago for today because you have changed and you don't need the same things. So God meets us where we're at in that moment and speaks to us in that exact moment for exactly what we need. And so, so many times, because we, we have this religious mentality, is that we try to recreate encounters with God so that you may even come to church on Sunday and try to replicate what happened to you last week. So that maybe God spoke to you through the singing, He spoke to you through His Word, or spoke to you through Sunday school or something. And so it was like, wow, that was a deep encounter. And the purpose of that encounter is to draw you closer to Him and to desire to spend more time with Him. But instead, we try to come back and have another encounter and we try to have another good day. And so you try to literally try to do the same things over and over and try to have the right thing. And so you're just hoping that your worship song is played so that you can lift your hands and have that same encounter with that same worship song. And listen, those are beautiful things, but that's not what it's like. And that's not what it's about to have a relationship with God, because we're constantly changing and God is meeting us where we're at. And so the encounter that you had with God in seventh grade, I sure as hope isn't the same encounter you're having with God when you're 25. And so one of the things that I hear from people sometimes is like, hey, listen, we should do men's retreats and women's retreats and all those things are incredible things. But one of the things that they talk about is I want it to be like when I was in junior high or high school. Well, listen, you don't have the same problems at 25, 30 that you had at 15. Because you got a spouse, you got kids, you got different stuff. And so God needs to speak to you in different ways and on different levels and have a new encounter with God. So what I want to challenge you with is, listen, if you've had an encounter with God, that's an incredible thing. And God's used that. But he also wants to use those things so that you can know him on a deeper level. Continue to date and continue to pursue him and to know him. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, When you were Gentiles... When you were Gentiles, you, you, didn't, you didn't know God. And so you pursued, pursued after God in such a way um, that you pursued after these, these other gods and you were slaves to these so-called gods that don't even exist. And so that we have this, this tendency to, whenever we, we have this encounter with God or whenever we have this, we're pursuing after something, we're looking for it and we're wanting something to bring us identity. We want something to bring us to purpose. And so that's what we even see this is, is rampant in our culture where people are identifying as all kinds of different things and, and whatever they're identifying as. And the reason that they're identifying themselves is because they want, want someone to love them. They want someone to give them worth and to give them value. So if that some way, somehow we identify ourselves, that people will know how to treat us and to deal with us. And I understand that and I get it. But listen, the deal is, is that the only identity that will bring us worth and value that is lasting, that will not change, is our identity in Jesus Christ. 
And so for us, before we knew God, we were pursuing anything and everything to bring worth and value to identity. When someone sees us, they go, hey, Chris has great value and worth because they identify in this way, whether that's an athlete, a cheerleader, or, or preppy, or whatever, right? And so you got all these things, you work through this identity, and then all of a sudden you realize, hey, I'm enslaved to that. I'm enslaved to this identity. And so now, on the flip side of this, the religious piece is that whenever we've had an encounter with God, sometimes we, we think that behavior modification is what brings freedom. So that if I don't do this, or if I do this, and so we begin to behavior modify, and we're really good religious people, but we're still enslaved. We're enslaved to religion, and that we're not free in Christ. So look at verse 9 of, of Galatians. Before you were, you knew God... You were enslaved to this. And then verse 9 says this. So that you now know God. Okay, now you've had this encounter. You're experiencing him a little bit. Or should I say that now God knows you? Why do you want to go back again and become slaves? And become slaves to those things that are weak and that are useless to the spiritual principles of the world? In other words, why do you want to identify and pursue other things that you at once thought brought life and value and meaning to your life. Now that you've had an encounter with God and you in that moment experience, just maybe for a fleeting moment, what it meant to be an encounter with God, the freedom that came and what it was in that moment, you couldn't quite grasp and understand it, but you want to re, re have that encounter. You want to do whatever you can possibly do. And so we do all these different things. And so that's the difficult thing about the difference between religion and relationship. Religion is we can check off boxes and do these things and get rid of these things, where with a relationship, it's truly that. It's an encounter with and a pursuit after, and things are constantly changing. Guess what? I love my wife, and we've been married for years, and she is not the same woman that I married many years ago. And thank goodness, because I'm not the same guy that many years ago either. And so there's this changing and moving and this growing that happens in the pursuit of the relationship. And in what there's some things that I can still do to pursue her now that I could have done many years ago. But now, because I've gotten to know her a little bit better, I even know some of those things. I'm still a guy. I'm not perfect at this. But, but there are moments where, hey, I hit a home run and I pursue in a way that she's like, yes, that's it. So the same is true for us in our relationship with God. It's this relationship, and God's constantly pursuing us, and He wants us to pursue Him as well. And, and the beauty of that moment of, of those times where, man, you just, kind of, you just know that it's right, and it's not about checking off boxes, but it's about making time for Him and enjoying the relationship that we have with Him. It's so easy to get caught up into that. One of the things that, that I have, that um, I don't have it anymore, but I used to have this really cool polo shirt. And I was purple. And I got it when I was a junior in high school. And I got it because I was now a projectionist at the movie theater and I was making big dough. You know what I mean? You get one of your jobs and you're making great money. And so I'm like, dude, I'm going to identify as somebody who's rolling in the money. And so back in the day when you were rolling in the money and you were in high school, what did you wear? You wore polos. Now, not like the Knights of the Round Table, JCPenney uh, polos, but like the real polos. That's not how you knew you had arrived. You could get past the JCPenney Knights of the Round Table shirts, and now you're wearing the real polos. Now, I could have had ten Knights of the Round Table shirts for the one polo, but I had to have that one polo because it identified me. It established my coolness factor, all right? Now, listen, even the other cooler factor was if you could go pastels. And so I went pastel, purple, 
cool polo. So when I walked down the, high, the hallways of Victoria High School, they were like, "Woo! here he comes. Don't you know they thought, man, he, he has arrived, okay? And so I have this going on. So I got this as a junior. Well, Becky and I met, and it was still a cool shirt um, then. And then like five years later, I still love this shirt. I mean, it's still cool. It identifies me because I spent hard-earned cash at the movie theater to have this shirt. Well, one day I show up and I'm looking for my shirt. It is gone. And I'd been told a couple of times, hey, that shirt needs to go, you know, in a nice way that a wife does. And I'm like, hey, it's a comfortable shirt. Don't worry about the hole underneath the armpit. I don't raise my hands that often anyway. I mean, and she's like, hey, listen, it's got different colors of purple. And I'm like, hey, cool. This tie-dye thing is in anyway. We're cool. And so I show up and it's gone. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And in that moment, all of those memories that are attached to that shirt and all that different stuff is just kind of like, oh, it's all gone. And for us, our lives sometimes is like that, and our counter with God is like that, is that we've identified with something and we so attach ourselves to it. In that moment when we can't recapture it and it's gone, we want it. And so I, you know what the first thing I thought I needed to do was? I needed to go to Dillard's and go buy me a new purple shirt. Right? And so redo that. And so it's that same idea is that, man, if I want that, then i got to go do this to get to this place. And that is so opposite of what it means for us to have a relationship, God. And the third thing that I want you to grasp is that to move beyond those two things into a, to a point where you're saying, hey, I believe in God and I know Him. And I know Him. And I don't, it's, it's this, this interesting idea from the Old Testament, New Testament, what it means to know Him. And we've talked about it over the last few weeks a little bit, but I want to even dig deeper into that. So if you have your Bibles, again, here we are. We're in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. And it says this, And so we can be sure... So one of the questions that I get quite a bit as a pastor is, how can I be sure of my faith? How can I be sure of my salvation? And so that's an honest question, because again, if it was religion, then we could check off these things and we would know that the scales are here, that you have salvation. But in a relationship type thing, it's it's one of those things that seems like it's fleeting. And so this is one of the things that I point to for people is, listen, if you want to be sure, let's talk about how, how you're doing in your obedience. How are you doing in following through with what God's wanting you to do? So you got this obedience thing. And so how can you be sure that we know him? And so again, this idea of know is an experiential know, that, that you know him and that everything about our bodies we experience. There's this mode of hearing and seeing and tasting. that this full experience of knowing God. And so that it's not just this rational thing. And so see, that's also one of the things that atheists struggle with and agnostics struggle with is that there's this point where we can give you the rational thoughts. We can give you all of the, the reasons for who God is and why God is and why it's important to have a relationship with God. But at some point, the rational then, you have to take the leap of faith. And so, so many can't take that leap of faith because What we know, what I know on the other side of that leap of faith is, is that God the Father catches us and allows us to experience what you can't experience without taking the leap of faith. And so that's the mystery of the gospel. That's the mystery of the good news is we can rationally take you so far, but there's some point that you have to jump off and trust. Okay, and the beauty of it is is that the longer we're in relationship with God, the more that we can trust and the further we can even jump out into the deep because we know that time after time after time that he catches us and walks with us and swims with us even in the deep recesses. So you can be sure in your faith and you can know if we see obedience. Now, the other part of this is, too, is that sometimes we think that doubt is the opposite of faith. 
And so what I would tell you is this, is that you can be sure in those moments when you begin to doubt about your relationship, that's one of the things that helps prove the fact that you're one of his because you're straying. There's something that's moving you from him. And so those doubts drive you deeper into in pursuit of him. So in those moments when you doubt, hey, God, am I really, am I really your child? Are you really that you drive deeper and it drives you deeper into relationship? It drives you deeper into his word and in pursuit of him. And so those doubts that so much, so many times we're told, hey, that's the opposite of faith. I would tell you that it's God using those moments where you doubt him that it drives you to deepen your faith. And so you can be sure that even in these moments when you begin to doubt that you can know him if we obey his commandments. Now, if you look over, there's a couple of words in the New Testament. One of the words for know, the main word that's used for know is gnosko. And again, it's that experiential knowledge. Now, the Old Testament version of that, the same word is used in Genesis chapter 4. It's used in several different places, but it's used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And it says that Adam knew who? Eve. Now, this is adult time. Adam knew Eve. Adults, you get where I'm at? Okay, so that's a pretty vulnerable, intimate moment, is it not? There's nothing more vulnerable and intimate than Adam knowing Eve? Okay, yeah, right, everybody smiles and giggles, okay, we're good, all right. And so think about that. How can you be sure that you know, how can you be sure that you know God in that way, that Chris knows God? Scary image. But it's this idea of I'm a completely vulnerable and there's, I am, as they say in Texas, naked before God. In other words, there is nothing in me or about me that is hidden from him. But here's the other piece, is that God is also fully vulnerable for us and we can discover and know everything about him. But so many times, the reason that we don't know Him is because we realize that for God, for us to be fully vulnerable before God and to know Him means that we have to be fully vulnerable and naked before Him. And the last thing that we want is for God to point out our flaws. We're ashamed. And we do a great job of cleaning up. We do a great job of covering up. We do a great job of religion. But the deal is, is that religion is checking off boxes, but relationship is making yourself vulnerable before someone that you trust them enough to say, hey, here's who I am. Here's I'm all, I'm all my flaws. And yes, I know that. But that then allows us to grow and to trust and obey. It's a powerful image for us that every time that you see that word, it's to know, it's to experience. And here's the other cool thing, this idea of know is that it's a once, one moment deal. So there becomes a moment whenever you understand and know as best as we can and we say yes to Jesus. So in that moment when we say yes to Jesus, that our knowledge is made full and complete. Okay, grasp this. That in that moment when you say yes to Jesus, your knowledge of him is made full and complete. Just like our salvation is made full and complete. Just like our justification is made full and complete. Just like our glorification is already in that moment made full and complete. The deal is, is that as followers of Jesus, from that moment then, we're now working out our salvation. We're working out our knowledge so that if you become a follower of Jesus at 18, you shouldn't be still seeking those same encounters. 
You should be 45 years old and you should be walking deeper in obedience because day after day I'm saying, here God, in all my vulnerability, in all my nakedness, here I am. And so that at 18, whenever we were embarrassed and shy to to show who we truly were, now at 45, we've been ongoing, trusting, obeying, and so now we can stand before Him and He can say, man, look at the beautiful creation that's happening, look at all the modifications, look at the transformation that's happening in you and through you, and now you can go and obey and do things that you never thought possible but you at 18 years of age. But what it takes for us to grow in our relationship with Him is to say, God, here's who I am. And that experience, knowledge is okay, Chris, here's the stuff I need to do in you. And so here you are the next day and you're obedient and you're like, man, that's that's awesome that I can trust God in this. And then the next day God says, hey, here you are and, and this ongoing. So the knowledge of him is made complete. The salvation, the justification in that moment is made complete. But we're understanding what it means and our finiteness. We're understanding his infiniteness and the completeness of salvation and knowledge in him. That's good stuff. All right, verse 4. If someone claims, I know God, but does not obey Him, obey those commandments, that person is a what? A liar. How many of you have heard, hey, Christians, all Christians are hypocrites. Y'all heard this word? What are they saying? You're a liar. And what we need to say is, yes, there are times that we are hypocrites. There are times that we are liars. But it's, we are liars, not God. We are liars, but God, but listen, you need to come back and say, listen, I'm trying to work out this whole thing. I'm trying to figure this out, and so I'm sorry that I messed up, and, and, and please don't pass this off on God. Please don't, and God's obviously bigger, and He can handle it. But what I'm saying is, is that for us, this is how it's important for us in our relationship and our pursuit of Him to be conscious of the fact that people are watching us and examining our lives and saying, listen, if you believe what you say you believe, then it should be making a difference in your life, and is it making a difference? For us, if someone claims that I know God, but they don't, this is that polarity. If you claim that you're a Christian, but your life isn't adding up, that you're moving in two totally different directions. And moving in two totally different directions, if you take a rubber band and continue to pull it, what's going to happen to the rubber band? It's going to break and you're going to have nothing. And so for us, is at some point, we have to continue to move together in our lives and who we say we are and what we're about has to be moving in the same direction. Verse 5. But those who obey, those who keep, those who observe, those who hold fast to God's Word, truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know that we are living in Him, by the way that we obey, the way that we keep. So I think this is one of the things that also scares us. Is that when you're called to Christ and you begin this relationship thing, you hear people say, hey, I was called to be a missionary to Africa. And you're like, oh my goodness, I might be called to do that. You might, probably not. Because many of us are made and built to live in a hut where there's no running water and all that different stuff. But for some of us, the scariest place to be called is to be a 7th grade teacher. But some of you are called to be a 7th grade teacher because you're called to be light in the midst of darkness. For some of you, the scariest place to be is a salesman in the oil field. Because they don't. everyone in the oil field is, is going after God, right? No. To be light in the midst of darkness. 
So think about the places that God has placed you as an adult and as a student. Where has he placed you and what's he called you to do? The thing that he's calling you to be is to be salt and light in those places because people were looking and asking and saying, what does it mean? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And we're saying, listen, I know him and he's transforming my heart. I'm finding freedom in areas that I didn't know that I could possibly have freedom. And and yes, I'm not perfect. There's moments where I'm a a hypocrite and I mess up. But my pursuit is, and my relationship of my pursuit is knowing Jesus and Him and Him alone. To know Him is to obey Him. And then finally, in verse 6, those who say who live in God should live their lives as Jesus lived. In other words, as we're Christians, we're little Christ, we're little Jesus, and we're mimicking and acting and talking and thinking One of the toughest things for us to do, the number one thing we're supposed to do as Christians is to love. It's to love well. The most difficult thing it is for us as Christians to do is to love. So there's that constant tension. Listen, we're called to love, and it's the most difficult thing for us to do. And the thing that Jesus did the best was to love. What I want to ask you this morning is, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Have you had that moment where you said yes to him and you know that you know that you know that you know him? And yes, you may have moments of doubt. Yes, you may have moments where you're not perfect, but that you know that you know him. Number one, if you don't have that, that's what you need to settle today. And for the others of you that know him and you're at a place of saying, listen, I know him, but there are moments that there's no evidence and I'm not very good at loving, be imitators of him. Pursue him. Maybe you need to restart your dating life with God. Maybe you need to restart your relationship. There's every one of our relationships at some point. You've been in a relationship long enough. It's easy for it to become stagnant. Begin to date again. Begin to date God and set appointments so you can get to know Him and trust Him and obey Him. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, we do thank You so much. that you pursued us even before we pursued you, and you pursued us knowing full well who we were. Before we even got to a place of saying, here's who I am, you already knew it. You already knew all of our flaws. You know all of our, our stuff. And you still pursued us and thought we were worthy of pursuit. So, Father, I pray this morning that if anyone doesn't know you, that today would be that day, that today they would say, yes, I need Jesus. I believe that what he did on the cross was sufficient to cover over my sins. I believe in you. May I have new life in Jesus. I want to know Jesus intimately. And I pray for those of us in this room that are have had that moment and we're just, maybe we've strayed, maybe we're just, we're busy, we've got all kinds of different things going on, and we just need to renew our commitment to that relationship, Father, this morning. May we just, may we do that. Just take out your, your calendars, your mind, your schedule, and just say, God, I need to make a date with you. I need to make a daily date with you just to open up your word and to let you speak to me. God, may we have coffee together. May we have Dr. Pepper together, whatever it is. But God, I need to spend some time with you. We ask all these things in your son's name we pray. Amen.